Hey there, I'm Aaron Martell. And I'm Ray Zimmer. And welcome to Album Addicts, a podcast where we analyze and discuss a musical album of our choice. For this episode, Ray and I decided we'd break down Mr. Bungle's 1991 self-titled debut album. So, Ray, how did you get into Mr. Bungle, the uh, band itself, and this album in particular? Well, first, my, my gateway drug to Mr. Bungle was Faith No More. Sure. I liked them in high school. And then when, my freshman year at UMass, I moved into the suite with this one guy who was like a total Mike Patton fanatic. And he would like stumble into our room at like 2 o'clock in the morning, drunk off his ass, and be like, Dude, dude, you know what the best group in the world is? <laughs> what, Jeff? Faith no more. And this was like a nightly ritual. I mean, I don't know how this guy stayed on the Dean's list. Anyway, one weekend, I like he let me the disc and I listened to it and like... I had never, never heard anything like no. it. There was just like, there was no descri- categorizing it. I mean, there was so many different styles. I mean, they were like Swiss Army knife for a bit of styles. So I was like, <laughs> well, so I was hooked right after that. By 1991, I was already into Faith No More too. Mm-hmm. They've gotten popular. I'd seen Mike Patton wearing Mr. Bungle t-shirts in the pictures and in the music video for Epic, for Faith No More's oh, Epic. that's right, yeah. The track I had no idea what that meant. Yeah. You know, I didn't know that he had another band called Mr. Bungle. <laughs> I remember MTV News saying that Mike Patton had a band prior to Faith No More called Mr. Bungle and that they were going to be releasing a debut album, mm-hmm. but I never heard a track off it, and I saw it in the record stores and the cover had the weird-ass cartoon clown on <laughs> yeah. it, but I never picked it up. A couple years later, I was working at a retail store. Mm-hmm. A co-worker and I were talking about Faith No More, and he was a big Faith No More fan too, and I have to give a big shout-out to Mr. Tim McCarthy. <laughs> nice. Tim asked if I'd heard Mr. Bungle's music. I said, no. I was kind of interested. He let me borrow his cassette of it. And I didn't give it back to him for a <laughs> long time. I just couldn't fucking believe what I was hearing. Right. <laughs> and so eventually I got the CD, and that's how it all got started for me and Mr. Bungle. Nice. I think I still have my cassette. I got the Enfield tape outlet back in the day. Did you ever go there? No. Enfield, Connecticut had like an out. You could get like imports and stuff like yeah. that back in the day. And that's yeah. where I found I got that in like the second Suffocation album. Now I'm going to throw down some basic facts about this album, brought to you by the magic of Wikipedia. (laughs) Mr. Bungle is the debut studio album by the American experimental rock band Mr. Bungle, released on August 13, 1991 on the Warner Brothers Records label. It was produced by John Zorn and was recorded in 1991 at Different Fur Studio, San Francisco, California. This album did not chart and has no certification as far as my limited research could discern. So here's the part where I give you the band's lineup card. We've got Mike Patton as Vlad Drak on vocals, keyboards, and production. Danny Heifetz as Heifetz on drums and production. Trey Spruance as Scummy on guitar, keyboards, and production. Trevor Dunn as Trevor Roy Dunn on bass guitar and production. Clinton McKinnon as Barr on tenor saxophone and production. And Theo Lenvel on alto saxophone, baritone saxophone, and production. Now it's time to get into a track-by-track analysis of this album. The lead-off track is Travolta, written by Trevor Dunn, Danny Heifetz, Mike Patton, and Trey Spruance.
Ray, what do you think about this first one? Well, it's kind of a funny one that kind of leads things into. I mean, it doesn't like go totally if compared to some of the other tracks on the album this is probably one of the tamer ones i think <laughs> so it's cool and one of the things that they now got, didn't get a lot of credits for and i was curious about who actually if there's a singular person who did the keyboards but it's looking like they all did keyboards yeah on this i think one. they did and uh i think the keyboards are actually kind of not looked at a lot because there's some crazy stuff going on in this yes and they always they kind of like straddle the line between sound like these psychedelic sunday morning cartoons into like, I swear to God, that like it's the same keyboard sound used in some of the Fat Albert episodes. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, when they're walking from the junkyard. Hey, we got the Mace the Brown Hornet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's like lifted straight from the, the Fat Albert soundtrack. <laughs> but it's cool. I mean, it's got kind of patent. See, when I first got into patent vocals, it was kind of that, like that weird, nasally, yeah. like, faux R&B the sound. The stuff that you hear on Epic and... Yeah, yeah. exactly. That yeah. was the cool thing about the Faith No More stuff, because it was heavy, it was funky, and the guy sounded like Bobby Brown. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <So>. yeah. <laughs> But it's cool. And then, like, the lyrics are like the fleshy, limbless rectangle. It's oh, funny. As all. And it's oddly, it's kind of funny. It's like he mentions Trump in the song. Yeah. Like, years Isn't ago. Isn't that weird? That is really weird. Yeah. He's Hitler and Swayze and Trump. <laughs> Travolta. So yeah, no, this is a great song. Yeah, I don't even know where to begin with this. <laughs> We've got metal guitars, squiggly synth noises, jazzy organ and bass, carnival organ, ambient background keyboards, whacked out vocals, all in the same song. <laughs> it takes the avant-garde ideas of Frank Zappa and Captain Beefheart and turns it up to 11. Each section presents a different musical style, and then the sections are kind of stitched together. And upon first listen, you think, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> yep. <laughs> but it all makes a weird kind of sense, and it somehow just fits. Mike Patton's voice is all over the place, from his nasal caterwauling to his lounge lizard crooning to his outright screaming. The vocals are as jarring as the music. Yep. The lyrics are about a person who has very limited sensory input. He's armless, legless, blind, deaf, and his lips are sewn shut. He experiences the world through his sense of smell, and as an imagination, he can take the identity of anybody like Adolf Hitler, Patrick Swayze, <laughs> Donald Trump, and John Travolta. When I brought the cassette from Tim, this song was called Travolta, mm -hmm. but by the time I bought the CD, it was retitled Quote Unquote. Because the band feared legal action, I think, from the actor, from the real... Well, I have them in the Church of Scientology, yeah, I'm sure. yeah. <laughs> Which is a whole other thing, right? Right, big time. At the end of the song, there's a bunch of random honking sax noises that make me think of a flock of geese or a demented children's birthday party or something <laughs> yep. like that. This was the first and only single from the album. And do you notice how like they quote the uh, Frankie Valley song from the Grease soundtrack? Yes. That Grease is the word. <laughs> so he throws in little references to John Travolta in the song, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think they, meant, they mentioned disco or... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. unbelievable. Contortions that he can't recall. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, as soon as they said that in the song, like, I can imagine, like, Travolta and, like, um, Saturday Night Fever doing that dance where he looks like he's doing, like, a Russian Mamushka like a dance. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I like Saturday Night Fever. I've only seen little bits. I saw the intro <laughs> where he's like, hey, I got a dent. And he's got like this dent on his fucking shirt. It's a good soundtrack, too. Yeah. The next track is Slowly Growing Deaf, written by Trevor Dunn, Danny Heifetz, Mike Patton, Trey Spruance, Clinton McKinnon, and Theo Lengiel.
Ray, how about this second one? What'd you say? Slowly growing deaf. Get it? See what I did there? Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That was... Dude, you fucked me up. Sorry. <laughs> That's good. All right. uh, no, this song is fucking awesome. This is this one I, I latched on to. This was like, one of, I have several obsessive songs in this album, and this is one of them. Yeah. And uh, it, as, I'm, as I'm in my middle age years, it's become yeah, more reality. Yeah. I'm <laughs> feeling a bit like Beethoven. But yes. yeah, now this, this when I think of Mr. Bungle, this is like one of the things that like totally got me into them because, I mean, the song starts out with like this weird kind of poppy, almost like a, like a Motowny kind of thing. Then it goes into this, like smooth jazz. Then it goes into heavy metal. Then it goes into like some fifties rockabilly. Yes. Then it goes to some avant-garde shit. Yeah, there's just a whole so much shit going on in this yeah. song. And and it's cool. It's cool. When the heavy part comes in, it like and it just kind of merges nicely from the smooth jazz part into that. So. Yeah. Uh, big props to Trace Bruins on that. Yeah. This has got soft atmospheric keyboard sections, which are more or less the verses. Mm-hmm. Brief doo-wop passages and <laughs> 80s, 90s primitive video game music in there, too. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Plus yeah. some heavy, metallic, rocked-out sections. Mm-hmm. Mike's voice runs the gamut from soft, pleading scene to raw. <laughs> <laughs> and it ends with another spoken word interlude where the narrator says he's going to get a cup of coffee. <laughs> He ends up going to the bathroom, number one and number two. We get all the graphic noises, including the toilet splashing. Makes you want to run out and buy this record, right, folks? The band's formula continues with stitching together these wildly different styles of music and letting it play out like a film almost. The lyrics seem to be about actually growing deaf and hearing ringing in the ears like Beethoven, but also closing yourself off from the noise of society and isolating yourself, becoming more of an individual. I dig this tune, too. You know, I'm wondering, if you had this on vinyl, would you actually have, like, a skip in between the tracks, or would it be one... <laughs> I don't know, because I, and this, this is available on vinyl. They actually re-released it, too. It reissued it. Oh, no it's shit. available now. I've got to fucking get this. Oh, I don't shit. Want. Yeah, yeah dude. That would be mint. can't believe I don't have this yet. Most folks call it that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's why, folks, I'm not getting anywhere with this damn thing. <laughs> I don't even know if we're even describing this properly for uh, people. You know, I, I, yeah, it's hard to. You've got to just experience it. Yeah. That's the best thing I could say. Big time. Let's continue on to Squeeze Me Macaroni, written by Trevor Dunn, Danny Heifetz, Mike Patton, and Trey Spruance. How about this one? Oh, dude, this is awesome. You know, it's kind of funny because I'm sure these guys were more than capable of doing highbrow stuff, but at the same time, they got dick and fart jokes <laughs> down to a T. Um, and this whole song, and you need the lyric sheet because Patton is spitting out those lines so fast. Like I can, I can yes. only understand like a handful of things. Yeah. But um, it's all about like you know the food sex connection yeah. and like the really kind of you know whatever way. And my milkshake has nothing on this song. <laughs> Fuck Kalise and all that shit. This yeah, song is hysterical. That. But it's cool. It's like weird ass funk and. Um, 
Then it ends off with these quotes from the movie Blue Velvet, which is like one of my favorite David Lynch movies of all time. In fact, the Frank Booth character, as we'll talk about, it comes up several times in yeah. this. I knew you would latch onto this one. Oh, then fuck you're yeah. a big David Lynch fan. One thing I can't stand is warm fucking beer makes me puke. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah, no, this song is mid. This is awesome. Yeah. Uh, more wackiness, more weirdness. This song is a little more propulsive, at least at first. Mm-hmm. Though if you want to keep track of time signatures and tempo changes with this group, then be my guest. <sighs> Good night. The slap bass is funky and the verses are sung so fast by Mike I can barely understand them, like you said. They also twist the children song This Old Man with Nick Knack Patty Whack yeah. Give Your Dog a Bone Baby <laughs> There's also a crunchy metal middle section that Mr. Bungle loves to insert in most of their songs yep. and more atmospheric dreamy keyboards while Mike sings all breezy Squeeze me macaroni <laughs> Slap your face with my baloney <laughs> <laughs> the lyrics are wonky as fuck yeah. Using food metaphors for sex And name checking Ronald McDonald Colonel Sanders Chef Boyardee And the Pillsbury Doughboy As sexual partners <laughs> And the Three Musketeers To, to top it off <laughs> The interlude this time It's a full on party With saxophones And keyboard noises Fading in and out While all kinds of voices Shout party <laughs> And one thing I can't Fucking stand is Warm beer man It makes me fucking puke <laughs> And that's the Dennis Hopper line from, oh from, man, from, it's from demented but awesome. Yeah. And you know, if you look at the lyrics, it's actually not even we came to party, it's we came to potty down your door. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so more dick and fart jokes. Uh, you can't go wrong with that. You can't. No. Now we're on to Carousel, written by Trevor Dunn, Danny Heifetz, Mike Patton, and Trey Spruance. That's the your thoughts this is cool i've only kind of recently kind of delved back into like old madness before that i got into like songs like our house and stuff like that yeah yeah but my son my seven-year-old got me into the song um the house of fun and i was like holy crap and then i went back and listened I was like this is kind of ska okay and then when i started researching the band it turns out like they started out as kind of like a mixture of like just different metal bands but then they got more into madness and the yeah. specials and stuff like that and they started incorporating more ska stuff in there and the lyrics are pretty demented yeah. <laughs> And so the, supposedly, Trey Spruance claims Mike Patton showed him how to play, like, ska rhythms on guitar. Okay. Not that Patton himself was a guitarist, but he yeah. just kind of, like, showed him, like... He understood the rhythm. Yeah, hearing that, that whole yeah. upstroke kind of a thing. Right. And so, you know, that's just one more notch in Mr. Patton's belt. Which also kind of developed from reggae, more or less, right? It's more, yeah. It's kind of, like, sped up reggae, more or less, it's kind of what ska is, right? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. 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 So, um, they got those weird... Almost Darlene Love, Ronnie Spector style girl group, like whoa, oh, 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 yeah. in the background, which was yep. really kind of cool. Yeah, this one starts with a mid-tempo ska beat, with Trey playing clean guitar and the ever-present saxophones making their presence felt. Mike is employing his usual array of voices and vocal sounds, <laughs> like, you know, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> while echoed voices that are hard to hear in the background, there's all right. kinds of vocal shit happening, too, that you can hardly hear what they all are. Right, there's yeah, so no. much going on. You have to listen to it their headphones to even kind of pick up what's going on. Mm-hmm. There, of course, is some electric guitar slamming in along with a dash of 50s rock-style licks thrown into the soup. Oh, yeah. The lyrics use carnival and clown imagery to describe how most people present a happy, smiling facade of themselves, while beneath the mask, 
There's hate and anger and violence lurking just below the surface. Then there are sampled carnival noises along with demented keyboard carnival music and vomiting, of course. <laughs> you can't get it. You gotta. Then as the song winds down, the carnival tune plays over and over and over. It's insane laughter from multiple voices fades in and out. It's more madness, more awesomeness. It is. And you know what? I, I never really appreciated the horn section stuff because I guess it's just the two sax players, right? I think one guy, the, uh, McClinton plays the, the alto sax. Yeah. And I'm not really sure what uh, the Theo was playing in there. But anyway, they were they were a bad little horn section. I think they made do with what they had. And I'll tell you what, the horns are key to the sound of this. They're prominent in every single song and they're yeah. not just an adornment they're not just like you know just play a solo here and it'll give it no, no. man it's, it's intrinsic to the sound yeah big it really time. is big time moving on we come to egg written by trevor dunn Thoughts on this one? <laughs> this fucking song is whacked. Uh, <laughs> but it's cool. It, like, goes, it starts out, you think it's going to be like, you know, kind of a, a funk rock egg. kind of a rap kind of thing. Egg. 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 <laughs> and then it like goes into that weird Scott with those Fat Albert keyboards, man. I, every time I hear I want Rudy to pop out with his bass for this song. <laughs> Trevor Dunn's got some great bass playing yeah. on this song. Yeah, and then like the cool thing is like they kind of go, it kind of goes all over the place. And it goes to this whole part where they're like doing different variations of Patton screaming "No Place Like Home," yep. and you think it's done, and then you hear him go, "Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Stop it!" You get dead silence, and he goes, "There's no place like home," and he's cracking up. So, and then it goes in that weird train jumping thing. Yeah. yeah, the ska beat sped up a bit for the verses, but then when the chorus hits, Trevor takes over on bass, and the tune takes on something like the Mighty Mighty Boss tones or something like that. Yeah, oh, it complete with accompanied horn parts and Mike singing, "La la 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 la." <laughs> <laughs> and it goes into a psychedelic rock freakout breakdown with a short guitar solo and space alien keyboards. Then yeah. back to the ska and more weirdness, including a completely backwards verse. I love that part, dude. Both with the music and the vocals <laughs> and into the last chorus. The lyrics seem to be about the egg and the reproductive process that needs to be fertilized and also as a metaphor for people who stay safe in their comfort zones and mm. never seek to hatch or branch out, rotting away in their shells and not paying attention to or caring about what lies beyond there. Then finally, as the song ends, Mike belts out the words, there's no place like home, like he said, about as many voices as he can muster. I know. There's no place like home. It's ridiculous. Do you have a favorite oh, one man. of those? I, I don't know. I think my favorite one's the one where he sounds like he's bawling, and then like midway through, he like goes all bipolar, and you can tell he's like cracking up. No place like home. Oh, man. But there's also much. that death metal version of it, too, which yeah. is kind of cool. yeah. Then the music slows down to this heavy crawl with a bunch of false endings, like you said. <laughs> Dorothy, you're so fucking far from Kansas at this point. <laughs> then the last three minutes of the track are these muffled sounds of voices and trains, like somebody left the recorder on in his pocket and forgot to turn it off. It's fucking bizarre. <laughs> it really is. But it's totally bungle. Mm -hmm. It's the longest track on the album at 10 minutes, 40 seconds, and that includes the interlude. But. Yeah, I'm sure eight, at least two minutes of that is, is just the, the, the that, train jumping. Yeah. It's fucking chaos. Yeah, <laughs> and it's muffled. I mean, you can, I mean, you can hear what they're saying if you really listen but it's yeah, yeah it's crazy <laughs> so let's take a look at stub a dub 
written by Trevor Dunn, Danny Heifetz, Mike Patton, Trey Spruance, Clinton McKinnon, and Theo Lengiel. this one this is <laughs> classic bungle i mean it goes to like hold <laughs> classic <just> bungle <laughs> <laughs> i know right <laughs> yeah but it starts out it kind of has that same kind of carnival kind of almost like a little kids tv yeah. show kind of thing then it breaks into like you know the cartoon music again like rapidly it's like there's no it's almost like almost like a cartoon polka it makes me think of that yeah 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 it makes it, me think like the keystone cops yeah <laughs> people running around like really really fast yeah, and, or, yeah. Like, you can see like a cartoon dog yeah. running fast in yeah, this part yeah. it's a portrait almost of his family and their family dog and what what goes on like the part like, do you think you're going to grow into a human being i think that was kind of an interesting way and that's yeah. kind of the cool thing about mike Patton. even with he was with faith no more like particularly on the real thing is he could like jump into different characters and sing things from different points of view yes and uh and in this case you know he's like you know looking at it and thanking his mom for like setting me up for having to deal with thanks mom a, <laughs> dealing with death in an early age like, <laughs> like we all go through yeah. at some point your pet's gonna die and it sucks yeah. and and all the good stuff that goes along with it. So, um, family, <laughs> family, family. <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, the two man horn section sounds good. Yeah, yeah really good on this. So, yes, yeah, Dub a Dub is definitely a killer. Yeah, this one begins with that circus organ back with a piano and waltz time. Mike singing in a sweet melody mm. about a dog that quickly becomes a manic ska influenced track with saxophone that makes it feel like there's a chase happening with a fast clicking percussion. <laughs> and unfortunately, the dog named Stub. Develops glaucoma and cataracts. He ends up dying after getting hit in traffic, I think. He was older, though. I think he right, had a yeah. pretty good life. Yeah. This song crosses musical genres again and changes time signatures and tempos with every instrument getting a chance to shine. Mm-hmm. And all the time, there's a circus atmosphere to the track that almost makes it impossible to categorize. This is one of the craziest songs about a dog's death you'll ever hear, with the lyrics describing the memory of the dog and the actual grief that comes with losing a beloved pet that's become part of the family. Family. (laughs) And this interlude is the sound of someone crying as if we need the point driven home. (laughs) And from Album Addicts, Stub the Dog, Rest in peace. <laughs> yeah, and that's the Kyle McLaughlin part. And uh, when after he sees Isabella Bella Rossellini get the shit beat out of her, yep. yeah, he's in there blubbering away. Yep. That that was directed right from that. And when I saw that movie, <laughs> yeah, you got it. <laughs> when I first heard that, I didn't know if it was laughing or crying. But when yeah. I listened, oh, he's crying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a ton of blue velvet references in this. Yeah, and before it was in vogue too. Yeah. You know, yeah, really. <laughs> The next track is My Ass is on Fire, written by Trevor Dunn, Danny Heifetz, Mike Patton, and Trey Spruance.
Ray, it's not funny. <laughs> it's not funny. <laughs> What's not funny? My ass is on fire. <laughs> Sorry. I compose myself. So, yes, my ass is on fire. <laughs> this, this song has um, got a lot of good stuff going on. It's got like, those weird kind of like atonal chords. And I think this is the one the guys from Korn talk about when they talk about the Mr. Bungle chord. It's like it's got like a weird flatted fifth in there yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, which Korn ended up like turning it into their entire fucking career. Yeah, holy fuck. But then it, it goes in the um, that weird shaft kind of section for like yes. eight measures, you yeah. know? And part of me at the time was like, dude, bring back the shaft. Yeah, bring I back know. the Isaac Hayes. <laughs> Give me the shaft. <laughs> Give me the shaft. Give me the shaft, Mr. Bungle, please. Because <laughs> my ass is on fire. <laughs> 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 yeah, yes. Whoa! Uh, <laughs> but then it goes. <laughs> then then I guess because of the co- the course of it, it's not funny. My ass is on That's fire. Right, it's not funny. <laughs> so they got that um weird kind of tremolo picked like Eastern like Middle Eastern melody, and they got that weird percussion going on in the background. It's fucking awesome. And then they take off once again. We go back to Blue Velvet Land with they repeat the phrase. From the movie, which is "Don't you fucking look at me," which is what <laughs> Dennis Hopper's character yep. Frank Booth says every time he like yep. smacks the shit out of somebody, yep. particularly Isabella Rosalind. Yes, but when he, the, yes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that, <laughs> and they go through different variations of that. It's got the metal part in there, and don't then they you fucking look at me. <laughs> don't you fucking look at me. <laughs> <laughs> and then they got they have fun with the word redundant in the end, which yeah. is kind of cool because. You think they're going to, like, they just kind of work through the process of saying the word down to the syllables, and when they stop, they pick up where they left off again. But you have to, like, listen to it. Yeah. To it oh, yeah. This is one of the heaviest tracks on the record, with plenty of metal guitar, and it gets about as metal as saxophones get. But it wouldn't be Mr. Bungle if we didn't have more musical chairs within the track. This time it sounds more like 70s movie funk music, the shaft part you were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> But mostly this one just pounds the heaviness, almost a parody of heavy metal. Yeah. The lyrics are pretty obscure this time, but to me it's about liars and being two-faced. But really, this thing could be about anything, I, actually. There are tons of references to the weird David Lynch movie, Blue Velvet. <laughs> the song breaks down finally into just guitar noise and pounding drums with numerous voice saying, Boo! <laughs> redundant and boring. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot the boring part. <laughs> and then the interlude sets up the next track nicely as a woman makes a business arrangement with Mr. Bungle that strongly <laughs> resembles the plot set up of a porno movie. <laughs> this track is severely fucked up, but also severely cool, man, and it's not funny. <laughs> well, that's funny you mentioned that because I never thought much of Phil in any way. <laughs> in fact, what you say is very interesting. <laughs> in fact, you're very interesting. <laughs> Oh, Mr. Bungle, I didn't know you even cared. And you will give me your account <laughs> later. I mean, later. we'll talk business later. <laughs> right now, I want to make love to you. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful body. <laughs> we move on now to The Girls of Porn, written by Trevor Dunn, Danny Heifetz, Mike Patton, Trey Spruance, Clinton McKinnon, and Theo Leniel.
Ray, your thoughts. That's like a whole band effort on that. I huh? guess, yeah, the whole band's on this one. This is the most straightforward. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, I said, the first one seemed like uh, is not as crazy. It's still crazy, but this was like the most steady groove yeah, that yep, entire thing. Yep. Like, the style of vocals that Patton has is are the ones that got me into Faith No More. Because like, right. he can do like bad. Well, that's not really bad R and B, but like kind of the era of boys to men yeah. kind of R and B and soul he stuff. He can croon. He can. He can. Yeah. And it's all about cuffing the carrot. Yeah. There's no disguising. <laughs> it's not a metaphor. There's no mystery. Like, this track. Yeah. <laughs> he has no woman next to him, and so he's just letting the pages fly. And whatever else he happens to need to fly. Yeah, <laughs> this is a awesome. movie, a magazine, even a peep show or a phone sex line. Yeah. The funk guitar and bass is back, mm-hmm. along with frequent noises of people having sex or at least pretending to. It's a porn. Yeah, <laughs> the song really underlines how much the sax is so important to this band, though. It's much more than just a side accompaniment. Mm-hmm. It's really intrinsic to the bungle avant-garde sound. There's a lengthy passage where Mike describes various taboo aspects that are available in porn, from bestiality to scat. Yeah, this is pre-internet. <laughs> Big time. I couldn't imagine if this track was created today. Oh, There's man. almost too much of it out there. <laughs> it ends with a heavy rock riff and Mike repeating, I was trained to fuck you, baby. <laughs> Over Our interlude this time is a muffled argument that seems to be between a father and son. Put me down, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to kill you, boy. <laughs> that the father threatens the son, but it's hard for me to hear. It's Again, it's muffled, yeah. sort of like the train jumping stuff. Right. But this track is not suitable for children, folks. <laughs> I can attest to that. <laughs> the penultimate track is Love is a Fist. Written by Trevor Dunn and Trey Spruance. Love is a fist! Love is a fist! Love is a fist! What do you say, Ray? Love is, in fact, a fist. Mm-hmm. Now, what you do with that fist in the privacy of your own home is, you know, mm-hmm. as long as there consenting adults involved, that's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is a good song because it does kind of go between avant-garde, kind of jazzy kind of stuff, and it goes into like just a heavy rock riff and yeah. stuff. I like it. It's not my favorite track on the entire album, so this one I'm going to have to say is Ray's unimpressed musical piece. All right. Now, I'm not slagging it. By right. any means. Right. I mean, it didn't. It, it felt kind of phoned in the first time I heard it. Yeah. So I'm going to leave it at that. And yep. How about you? How do you feel about Love is a Fist? Well, this song is pretty straightforward lyrically about getting sexual gratification from violence. Mm-hmm. Musically, it's probably the heaviest track on the album. It comes at you with a crushing guitar riffs, thudding drums, thrash-style bass. And this time the saxophone plays squeaky, screechy, avant-garde noise. It's not playing like... You know, regular mm. melodies. Yeah, no, not by any means. The vocals in the quieter keyboard-laden verses are subdued, but the rest are just shouting, Love is a fist! <laughs> the breakdown section is chaotic with shouting as if there's a fight breaking out between a bunch of people. I'll kill you! Yeah. <laughs> then the track slows down, but it stays heavy as it fades, and then we get a 1950s-type public service announcement <laughs> featuring a puppet show about how Mr. Bungle is an outcast bully in a school called Mr. Bungle's Goes to Lunch. And it was an actual children's educational film the band got its name from it it's an actual thing I, I would gotta see it I bet you if you go on YouTube you can probably find the Mr. Probably, Bungle thing probably and that leads to the final track his hands were dirty and his hair was messy <laughs> <laughs> Phil knew that it'd be, it'd be fun to be Mr. Bungle <laughs> 
And that final track is Dead Goon, written by Trevor Dunn, Danny Heifetz, Mike Patton, Trey Spruance, Clinton McKinnon, and Theo Langell. This one. This one I liked the first time I heard it, then I saw the lyrics, and I still liked it, but then I felt like weird about it because <laughs> it's so freaking crazy. Oh, it's fucked up. Man, I gotta say, Trevor Dunn, MVP on Dig his, the bass, His man. bass is nasty yes. on this song. It's amazing. But uh, yeah, no, it's it goes between like weird carnival music to... I, I, when I hear it, heard it the first time, like, is this like Shirley Bassey, the Goldfinger kind of stuff? Yeah. It's like, yeah. that, back yeah. and forth. Yeah, like James Bond shit. Yeah, it yeah. is. And yeah. I guess... And I read this interview with, um, I think it was Mike Borden, and he said like he had gotten a copy of either God Damn It, I Love America, or A Bowl Full of Chili. It's one of the two albums, but they, they had changed desperately because like, I think the first one was called like, The Wrath of the the Easter Bunny. That was their first yes, demo. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yep. But their second yep. one, they had gotten more into Sky. And, like, their, their demo stuff. The, yeah. The, the, right, right. But then the second one, they got more like Sky and like yeah. spy movie themes. Right. So it kind of comes in in that part. Yes. The the song the music is phenomenal. Yep. The the subject matter is well. I'll let you tackle that, <laughs> man. <laughs> but it's creepy, and yeah. you know what's happening in the end. And then yeah, just, uh, I don't know. Well, the lyrics again are about sex, but this time it's from the perspective of someone who gets off on autoerotic asphyxiation. Autoerotic asphyxiation. Autoerotic asphyxiation. You got this. There's sounds of the guy swinging on the rope and yeah. gurgling sounds as the guy's apparently accidentally killed himself. Yeah. All the while, there's keyboards that are playing this this ambient, spacey, you know, atmospheric stuff that more or less runs throughout the entire track. This song is truly avant-garde, though, as the instruments almost don't seem to have a rhyme or reason to what they're playing. It's mm. like everybody got in a room and just played whatever, and they yeah. react to each other. Yeah. <laughs> it almost seems like random, bizarre weirdness for the sake of it, yet it's somehow fucking listenable to my ears. I can't believe it. I, mean, oh, I can't explain it. Yeah. This one fades away slowly as the goon dies, and we get some orchestral waltz music playing <laughs> with added accordion. Yeah. And then that fades to a keyboard jingling and tingling sounds as the goon crosses over to wherever. That's how I interpret it. Oh, yeah, he's like floating away. Yeah, he, yeah. You, know, it, it, you know, he's off to wherever dead goons go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's over 10 minutes long, and it could well be the most whacked out track on a whacked out <laughs> album. And fuck me sideways, but I have to pick something as my so-called least favorite. And though I love this track, it's going to have to be called Aaron Stinky Stinker. But it's not stinky. It smells like fresh dead goon. <laughs> and just for a side note, you got to check out the lyrics for this song. Oh, like, man. Uh, like the noble and Oedipus part. And that should give you an yes. inkling of what's ahead. Yeah. And then like... Uh, playing solitaire or rope in mommy's underwear. <laughs> and I mean, you audibly listening to somebody hang themselves. Yeah, I, I mean, really, they, they, they do the best they can with it. Make it what they feel like it's supposed to be like to yeah. die. <laughs> it's, just, it's unreal. And when he starts to scream, no, like, yeah. like, oh shit, I fucked up, the box <laughs> fell out. Just, uh, yeah, that's what it's like. Yeah. <laughs> hey. oh. Now that the track by track is completed, we'll go into our final thoughts and album ratings. 
For you new listeners, the rating is a 0 to 5 system, with 5 being a favorite album of ours, all the way down to a 0, which smells worse than Dead Goon. <laughs> Ray, what are your final thoughts on Mr. Bungle's debut album? I don't even have to think twice about this. This is a 5 for me. Bungle was like, and it's hard to, because you really can't compare the two bands, but except for they had the connection of, you know, Patton. Faith Normal was awesome because they could do anything musically and they were enthusiastic. Bungle was awesome because they could do that times 10. Yes. And not only that, but they weren't like limited to the constraints of verse, chorus, you know, pop or anything like that. They just did whatever the fuck they wanted. I yeah. mean, like you'd mentioned video games stuff. Yep. I mean, they were throwing movie quotes in there and stuff like that, which I don't I mean, I'm sure certain bands were doing, but not to the extent I don't think Bungle was doing it. Certainly not the time. No, no, certainly. And, and the, their influence can be felt. So far along the line in the world of pop music, pop and rock music. I gotta say, Mr. Bungle self-titled, it's a five star. If yeah. you, you gotta get this album. Yeah, Mr. Bungle formed in Eureka, California in 1985 while its members were still in high school. They first considered themselves a death metal band, but they began incorporating other musical genres into their sound, eventually ending up with a bizarre genre crossing hybrid that you hear on this album. The band made a few demo tapes, and based on these, Mike Patton got hired as the lead vocalist for Faith No More. Mm-hmm. But he never left or forgot about Mr. Bungle, and then he fronted both bands simultaneously. Mr. Bungle moved to San Francisco and developed a following in Northern California that led to them getting signed by Warner Brothers Records. In concert, especially in the early days, the band would wear masks and costumes and performed under odd stage names, and they developed their theme of carnivals, circuses, and clowns that informed their music as well as their image. They enlisted jazz musician experimentalist John Zorn to produce this debut album, and I think he understood what the band was about because it sounds great. Oh, he got it. He yeah. definitely got oh, it. Oh, yeah. When I first heard this, I didn't know what to make of it. So strange. It's so fucking bizarre. I fully concede that this is not for everybody. I don't even expect this particular episode of the podcast <laughs> to get a lot of listens. I'm not sure how many people have ever heard of this band and album. Probably, yeah. It's yeah. a few. But if you have a taste for avant-garde shit, like the really wacky Zappa and Beefheart stuff, you might find something you like here. And if you like circus and carnival music, then this might be your speed too. <laughs> Mr. Bungle mashes different musical styles and genres together seemingly at random, almost haphazardly, and yet somehow it remains musical. There's no regard for song structures and time signatures, and yet you can follow along to it if you're able to let these tracks sink in. The music is well played, and the members are damn fine musicians. And Mike Patton is a force of nature. Big time. He can wail, scream, shout, cry, whisper, and yes, sing. With an impressive <laughs> range and vocal control that's truly rare in a pop rock vocalist. I have always fucking loved this album. It cracks me up, tugs at the wacky jack inside of me, and there is so much going on that every time I listen to it, I hear something different or pick up something new. And I've listened to this thing over 100 times easily. Oh, same. And I still hear new shit. Yeah. I gotta once again thank Tim McCarthy for turning me on to this. I give Mr. Bungle's debut album a five. I can't honestly recommend them to everybody because a lot of people are just not going to get it. But if you have a crazy clown burbling just underneath the surface of your everyday face, <laughs> have I got a fucking band for you. <laughs> yes. All right. I'm not saying no, I should say Jeff Schmidt as whacked out as a dude as you were. <laughs> Indeed, no more. <laughs> thank, thank you for turning me on to Bungle, man. Yeah. You know, if, if anything came out of our one year living together, I got a, a taste for Bungle. Yep. Awesome. <laughs> Ray, we got a review from the podcast webpage. Nice. It's from Mr. Rich Laguerre, and he refers to our Megadeth episode. He writes, 
Once again, I'm off to the record store. Great show, gentlemen. Really starting to love this podcast. Aaron, you and Ray have a charisma that is unmatched by the likes of Ozzy and Randy, Gene and Paul, Sonny and Cher. (laughs) I've begun anticipating the next episode as much as someone might wait for the next season of The Walking Dead to come on. This album was definitely one of my favorites, too. I don't think I disliked Dave's vocals as much as you did, Aaron, but I get where you're coming from. They were good, but I don't think they were as good as Master of Puppets. That album is almost perfect. It's sad to say that most of the kids today will never have that holy shit moment when they hear something new that's as amazing as some of the albums us guys have grown up with. I remember hearing Kill 'Em All for the first time and was like, holy shit, this is going to change the world, which it did. I don't think there'll be another new band to get that kind of reaction from people. We grew up in some great times, gentlemen, and it's awesome having you guys review it. Keep up the great work. Thank you, boss. Glad you're digging the podcast. Maybe you're just wacky enough to dig Mr. Bungle, hmm? I think there may be a freak line in there somewhere. Hmm. Where's your your clown at, Rich? (laughs) And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast at places like iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, TuneIn, Google Play, and Spotify. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review of it. If you take the time to do that, we'll read your review right here on the show. If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com and also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast, including the Album Addicts branch of the show. You can also recommend the show on Facebook if you prefer to do it that way. And yes, we'll read your Facebook recommendation on the podcast. You don't do reviews anymore, apparently. Hmm. You want to come on the podcast and talk about an album with us? Shoot us an email. We'll set it up. We're always looking for co-pilots to host the show with us, and we would also welcome any requests or suggestions for albums to cover. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you. So for Album Addicts, I'm Aaron. And I'm Ray. See ya. Don't you fucking look at me.
Is it Val? Is it V or Y? I think it's a Y. It's V, isn't it? Oh, and Val, isn't it? Oh, man. Look at Wikipedia. I know I was saying it wrong this whole time. I'll just apologize. The only thing Wikipedia said is that it's Hungarian for Polish. Why the fuck? Which is funny because my my grandparents' name is Hungarian for Croatian. This is why you need to check your notes to make sure you have correct spelling. So you can have correct pronunciation, folks. Let's peel back the curtain on podcasting some more. <laughs> Lang Yao. Okay, good. Okay. That's why. Good. Uh, <laughs> thank goodness. Mm. All right, so I've been saying it right most of the time. <laughs> and I'm going to redo this shit again. <laughs> <sighs> I got a burp. I feel it. It's right in there, man. It's got to come out. Oh, it's got me. Weak. Oh, man. Did it delete the pressure, Weak. though? Or is it still good? <laughs> Dude, I used to mess with him, too. He come in. Do the Bay City Rollers? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no more. <laughs> oh man, that's too funny. <laughs>